Good morning. When Barack Obama was president of America, and doesn't that feel like a long time ago, he would receive many thousands of messages, both snail mail and email, every single day of his presidency. Many people felt compelled to write to the most powerful man in the country, often because they were in desperation. They wanted to bring their plea or their case before him and highlight something to him that they were struggling with and they needed his help. And they felt maybe this guy has the power to change the situation. But to be honest, most of the people writing knew that what they'd sent was never going to actually come across the desk of the president. Obama wasn't going to actually see it. In fact, the most common opening line to these messages was something along the lines of, look, I know no one's going to read this, but... The thing is, someone did read it. In fact, Obama saw to it that he had a team of people who would read every single message ever sent in, whether letter or email. Someone did read it. And the even more amazing thing is that Obama had a rule with his team. When he was in Washington, D.C., every single day that he was there, someone from the team would bring him 10 of these messages each day. The 10 messages that they felt were most important for the president to read. And he would read them and he would respond to them as well. He saw this as a really key way of understanding the mood of the country, of getting a handle on the issues that were most important to the people in the country, the things that people are struggling the most. And he would use it often to shape future policy, policy and strategy. These fortunate 10 people each day would have the shock and the privilege of receiving a signed personal response from the President of the United States himself. They'd reached out to power and against all odds, they got a response that were dignified by hearing back. But to be honest, for most of them, it wouldn't actually bring a change to their situation. So the president has a lot of power, but he's often not able to interfere and change individual people's lives. They would have the amazing keepsake of a letter from the president, but often it wouldn't fix their situation. And that's the sad fact of the presidency. It's a role that offers huge power, but often leaves the person who's been the president wishing they'd been able to do more. In fact, Barack Obama himself said, there is no doubt that every step of the way, every day that I'm in that office, maybe I could have done a little better. Well, today we're starting a brand new preaching series and it's all about people who are fortunate enough to have an encounter with someone truly powerful. In fact, the most powerful, incredible person who ever has walked this earth. I'm not just writing a letter or sending an email and hoping to get a letter back. These people had actual face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus Christ of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. We're going to be looking at how their lives were changed incredibly by an encounter with this man. And we're also going to look at how our lives 2,000 years later can still be changed by encountering Jesus Christ. And we're going to be starting with a really amazing encounter today, uh, the encounter of Jesus meeting a man with leprosy. Now, if you're watching this live on Sunday morning, you'll have just seen the video clip from the amazing TV series, The Chosen, which shows this encounter with some artistic license. If you're watching this preach after the fact, um, hopefully a link to that video is going to pop up somewhere around here where my finger is and you'll be able to click on it and watch the, watch the video now. I really re recommend you do that. It's fantastic. But now I'm actually going to read the, one of the biblical uh, accounts of that story. It's in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, and I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. 
A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is an amazingly powerful moment from the early days of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus has just come down from the mountainside where he's delivered the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing uh, discourse of incredible teaching that had never been heard before. He's speaking to thousands of people, a crowd that had gathered because he'd already been going through the area of Galilee and healing many people. But this is the first time we see one of those healings really described in detail. We really get to see what happens. It's the first miracle that Matthew describes. And the biblical narrative that I've just read is actually pretty simple, isn't it? Basically, we have a sick man who wants to be healed. Jesus heals him. Bish, bash, bosh. Job done. But the, what I think the chosen clip does really well is gives us some of the extra context. It gives us an idea of what was going on behind the scenes, what this really meant in that day. You see, this man, this leper, he wasn't merely sick. He was a complete outcast. You see the way Jesus' followers react in the video. We see shock and horror at the sight of this leper. They warn him to stay back. One of them even draws a knife. Look, that's not in the biblical narrative, but it does seem to be the sort of thing that would have happened in this situation. Why that reaction? Why that shock and disgust at this man? Well, we really need to understand leprosy and lepers as they were seen in the Bible. What we know as leprosy today is actually a disease called Hansen's disease. It's caused by a microorganism, as you all know, the mycobacterium leprae. We all know that, don't we? And what it causes to happen is that we lose the ability to sense pain. Now, pain is a good thing. It's the body's warning system that it's being damaged. Leprosy gets rid of that warning system. And so you actually see awful things happening to people with leprosy. They do things to themselves that they don't even realize they were doing. I read one particularly harrowing story, and if you're squeamish, you might want to just close your ears, but a man who was trying to wash his own feet and he boiled up some water, but because he doesn't have any pain sense, he didn't know how hot the water was, and he put his feet into the water and basically boiled the skin off his own feet. That's a sort of awful thing that will happen to people with leprosy. It leaves people permanently damaged and disfigured. The disease lingers and just causes tissue degeneration and disformity. Sufferers of leprosy, especially in Bible times, were basically viewed like the walking dead, like zombies. They had smelly, rotting flesh. They wore tattered clothing and they had rasping voices. And to see a leper was to strike fear into your heart because you didn't want to be anywhere near them. It's really sad, isn't it? But in the Bible, the, the Hebrew word that we translate today as leprosy, the word sara'at, has a broader definition than just this Hansen's disease that we know of today. It would have actually included Hansen's disease, but also all sorts of other skin complaints, some mild, some serious. It would have included boils and carbuncles, fungal infections, infective burns, impetigo, scalp conditions, scabies, even eczema, and ulcers and vitiligo. It would even be described as you, uh, used to describe things that weren't to do to the body as well. So things like dry rot and mold in your house or mildew was sometimes covered by this word leprosy. The Old Testament contains great detail on what, on what we refer to as leprosy, particularly the book of Leviticus and Leviticus chapter 13. In there, we learn that anyone who had what the Bible describes as leprosy 
was had to present themselves to the priest in the area, and the priest would then declare them as unceremonially sorry ceremonially unclean. If anyone then approached that person, they would have to shout, unclean, unclean. They would have to shout about themselves, I'm unclean, don't come near me. There'd be this stigma on them to warn others against touching them and potentially catching their disease. There were two reasons really for this, this rule, these, these laws around leprosy. The first was basically to maintain, maintain the purity of God's presence. The Israelites at the time had the tabernacle, the tent of meat, and the place where God's presence and the Ark of the Covenant was housed. And that place was holy ground. It had to be protected and kept pure. And anything that could make that unpure had to be kept away. So if you had leprosy, you were not welcome anywhere near the tab tabernacle. It had to be kept pure. God is perfect and nothing impure should enter his presence in that way. But the other reason, very obviously, was to protect the people. Much like we've been with COVID-19, we've been locked down, haven't we? With the simple reason that we're trying to stop people from catching this disease. We're trying to stop the spread. And that's what it was like with leprosy. If you had leprosy, you were highly contagious and you didn't want to infect other people. So you were separated off. You essentially went into lockdown and you'd be required to isolate from the community until such time as the priest could declare you clean again. Now, Unfortunately, these laws which were given really for the good of the people became distorted by sin, by selfishness, by pride. Those who were declared unclean to protect themselves and protect others, rather than being cared for and treated with dignity, they became social outcasts, forced to live outside the city, not being part of the community. They were shunned and excluded and despised by, this, by society. Many people even faced the accusation that their illness, their skin condition, was a result of sinfulness. What a horrible thing to be told. Now we don't know if the leper in our story today was suffering from Hansen's disease or from one of these other contagious skin diseases covered by leprosy in the Bible. But what we can gather is that his, his condition was serious. We can gather that because the fact that he approaches Jesus alone. You see, Lepers, because of that feeling of being outcast and, and, and shunned by society, they would often congregate together. They'd dwell together almost in solidarity, really. They had nowhere else to go so because they couldn't interact with anyone, so they'd look after each other. But this man's not in a group. He comes to Jesus alone. He's so outcast that he's utterly abandoned. And the words of his interaction with Jesus, I just think are incredible. They're so significant. Matthew and Luke both recall the man saying exactly the same thing. He says, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. There's so much in that simple sentence. First of all, the fact that he calls Jesus Lord, that's a statement of faith right there. He sees Jesus as an authoritative figure. He's heard the stories of him healing. He's probably heard him teaching. And he sees this man as someone who is able to do something about this situation. He calls him Lord. And that's backed up by what he says next. He says, if you are willing, you can. Again, that's a statement of faith. He believed that Jesus could actually have the power to change his situation. He doesn't say, Lord, can you? He says, Lord, you can. He knows that Jesus can fix him. He knows that Jesus can heal him. It's just a question of whether he will. That's incredible faith there. And then the next thing he says uh, is that he says to Jesus, Lord, you can make me clean. That's such a revealing line. It tells us so much about this man's position in the society. The obvious thing to say would be, Lord, heal me of this disease. Take this disease away from my body. But no, he says, make me clean. 
I need to lose this stigma of uncleanliness. It's, it's ruined my life. It's seen me outcast. It's robbed me of my family and my friends and my livelihood. It's robbed me of human touch. It's robbed me of compassion. It's robbed me of love. He knows the only way he can recover the relationships and the life he wants new is to be declared clean. And he believes that Jesus can do it. It's just a question of whether Jesus is willing. As long as this man is diseased, he's been spurned and ignored. He's a filthy risk. To touch this man is to be exposed to his disease and to become unclean yourself. Imagine for comparison, that you're walking through the park at the height of COVID-19 lockdown. Imagine you've got an underlying health condition yourself. You're desperate to keep isolated and to not come into contact with anyone, but you've got to get out on your daily walk. And as you're walking around this park, a man, an old man comes stumbling towards you. He's sweaty, he's in a mess, he's got a hacking cough, he's got a running nose, he's got no face mask on. You're pretty confident looking at this guy that he's got COVID-19. And as you get closer to him, he stumbles and falls and he reaches out to you asking for your help to be brought back up to his feet. What on earth do you do in that situation? To help this man is to risk your own health. But it's also to go against the strict government guidelines of social distancing. If you help this man, you're actually breaking the law. What on earth do you do? That's the kind of dilemma that is facing Jesus in this moment with the leper. There's a risk to his own health. He's a fully human. There's a risk to his own health that he could catch this disease if he touches this man and helps him. But there's also a huge risk to his reputation. He's a new kid on the block in terms of teaching and ministry. If he touches this leper, he's breaking a, a Jewish law. It's going to make him unclean and unpopular. And so the question, are you willing? Jesus answers it unequivocally. I am willing not only is he willing to heal this man and declare him clean, but he's willing to dignify this man by reaching out and touching him. He does what no one else will have done in years. He dares to, to reach out and touch him. In the chosen clip that we saw, it's a beautifully emotional moment. As not only does he touch him, but he embraces him, he hugs him. He, he's willing to have this man all over him. He doesn't mind. And you know, Jesus didn't have to do that. In fact, if you look at the stories of healing in the New Testament, we see times where Jesus healed people without even being in the same room, without even being in the same postcode. He heals one person not even in the same town as him. He didn't have to touch this guy, but he chooses to. It's an incredibly powerful demonstration of loving, compassionate restoration. The rules were there to stop the spread of the disease, but Jesus knew actually, I'm not at risk of spreading it. I'm going to get rid of it altogether. It's an incredible moment of grace and love from Jesus. One of the, the New Testament scholars, Tasker, said in his commentary that Jesus allowed the constraint of divine love to take precedence over the injunction over touching a leper. I love that. There were rules and regulations, but Jesus being God, God being love, meant that that overruled the rules. Jesus knew that he had such compassion for the man that that mattered more than that injunction not to touch him and his love for the man sees him restored to health and cleanness so what do we take from this amazing story but this encounter that happened 2000 years ago what does it do for us today well a common question that i've seen asked when we look at this story and we think about the lepers encounter with jesus is who are the lepers of today 
Surely our role is to be Jesus, to represent Jesus on earth and to reach out to those who are outcasts in today's society. We just need to figure out who they are and find a way to welcome them into our churches and help them become clean. I've seen all sorts of suggestions on this. Who are the modern lepers? I've seen people say, well, it's paedophiles or alcoholics and addicts. It's prostitutes. In some cases, it's people from ethnic minorities who shouldn't have been outcast, but have become outcast in their society. Or maybe it's the sick or the dying or the poor and the impoverished. All of those people have been described as modern lepers in society. But honestly, none of these quite work for me. I can see the merit in thinking of this as we need to help people, we need to make sure that we're avoiding prejudices, we need to make sure that people aren't shunned by society. But there's something that sticks in my throat about it. Because it paints us as being fine and okay. It paints us as being clean and being ones who need to extend love and welcome to those who are less fortunate. It kind of puts us on a bit of a pedestal, like we've got it all together and other people haven't. To be honest, I think to truly be able to have compassion for this outcast man like Jesus did, we need to understand that all of us, every single one of us, were outcasts, are outcasts. Like, but for the sacrifice of Jesus, we are all this leper spiritually. We are all people who, but for Jesus, are unclean unable to enter God's presence. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all said, thought and done things which have missed God's standards of perfection, which have been contrary to God's good laws and intentions for us. Things which have created a separation from God who is so holy that sin cannot be in his presence. We can look at our sin as a kind of leprosy in three ways. The first way is this, our sin makes us outcasts. The Bible tells us clearly that the wrong things that we do, all of us, there's no exceptions here, the wrong things we do, the sins that miss God's standards, create separation between us and God. God loves us, he created us to have a relationship with him, but he is so perfect and holy that he simply can't tolerate sin. Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, spelled it out to the people of Israel. He says, your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Paul in the New Testament writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Just as a leprous disease in the Bible meant that those suffering could not be in the presence of God or other people, our sin does the same to us spiritually. It creates division and eternal death. Our sin is like leprosy because it means it makes us outcasts from God. The second way our sin is like leprosy is that it's contagious. Our sin is like leprosy because it can spread like wildfire and do great damage, not just to us, but to other people. The effects of sin are catastrophic in our own lives and others. Your classic example in scripture is the story of King David, a man who was godly and successful, a man described as being after God's own heart. But he slowly let sin seep into his life and then it spiralled out of control. He started by accumulating vast wealth and possessions, something that the king wasn't supposed to do. And then he built a harem. He attracted a, a vast number of wives and women to have his way with, something that the king was not supposed to do. And then what that slow descent into sin 
escalated rapidly. He sees this naked woman, Bathsheba, a married woman, bathing on her rooftop. He lusts after her. Lust very quickly becomes adultery. He invites her into his palace. He has sex with her. She becomes pregnant. And then to cover his shame, adultery then becomes murder. He makes sure that Bathsheba's husband meets an untimely death. And then murder becomes just utter familial breakdown and the loss of God's blessing on his life. Sin is destructive, it's contagious and it spreads like wildfire. It affects many people. Sin is like leprosy in that sense. It has the power to corrupt our lives and the lives of others completely. The third way that sin can be seen like leprosy is that we just cannot clean ourselves up from it. Sin is like leprosy because we can't fix it ourselves. There's no easy cure that we can just have. You couldn't wash a skin disease off. Anyone who's got eczema or something will know you can't just wash it off. You can't work harder to get rid of it. You can't buy your way out of it. In the Bible, you were stuck with leprosy until something cured you, until you were declared clean by someone else. And it's the same with our sin. When we're stained by sin, there's nothing that we can do to remove it from ourselves. It's a permanent blot on our copybook. We can't erase it. So you see, spiritually, we find ourselves, every one of us, in the same position as this leper. In terms of our relationship to God and our eternal destiny, we are outcasts. We are unclean. We have no way of getting right with God ourselves. But what we do have in common as well with a leper is that there is one place we can go, one person to whom we can come and ask for help, one person who can make us clean. In the Sermon of the Mount that he just delivered before healing this leper, Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus came to earth to show that he was not satisfied with humans being permanently outcast from God's presence. He came to create a way for us to be cleansed from our sins and to be able to be reunited with a perfect, holy God. He came to rescue the spiritually bankrupt and give us eternal life. Another New Testament writer, Cole, says, wherever the compassionate Christ and the yearning sinner meet, there then comes instantaneous and complete cleansing. It's incredible news. As surely as we are marked by our own sins, we can be sure that there is full and complete cleansing available. The sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, have ensured that the price has been paid for our sins. That which we could not do for ourselves, Jesus did for us. This leper was worried that Jesus might not want to help him, that he was too clean to receive his, his uh, healing and cleansing. But he needn't have worried. In Mark's account of, of this passage, he says that Jesus had compassion for the man. The Greek word that he uses there literally translates as Jesus' bowels went out to him. In other words, Jesus looked at this man in his plight, in his sickness, and he's literally gutted. He sees one of his creation so damaged by leprosy and uncleanliness that he cannot help but have this deep gut response of love and compassion. And you know what? It's the same for us. When Jesus looks at us in our mess of sin, whatever he sees in us, he, he has compassion for us. He's gutted for us. 
Maybe you're struggling with addiction to alcohol and drugs and you think you're beyond God's help. Maybe you've got an addiction to pornography and sex and you're full of shame. Maybe you're feeling guilty. Uh, Maybe you've committed adultery and you've got that shame hanging over you. Maybe you're caught up with jealousy or anger or unforgiveness that has just twisted you in knots and you found it hard to move on from. Maybe you're struggling with hatred towards someone. Maybe you, maybe there's real dishonesty in your life. Maybe you've been cheating your tax or your, your income or something like that and there's, there's a thread of dishonesty in, in your life. You might look at the mess of sin in your own life and then you know deep, deep down that you need forgiveness. You need a fresh start. And you look at Jesus and you believe that he can offer forgiveness, but you're just not sure that he can forgive you. Well, this encounter tells us so much about Jesus' response to you and to me. He would look at us and he would be gutted. His heart would go out to us, his bowels would go out to us. His heart of compassion and love for his creation, you and me, would go out to you. And he would tell us, like he told the leper, I am willing. I am willing to cleanse you of your uncleanness. I am willing to wash away completely the stain of sin on your life. I am willing to usher you into a new life of amazing relationship with God that will last for all eternity. Hebrews 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Listen to this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first thing Jesus says to this leper after he's healed him is that he's to go to the temple, back to the place of God's presence where he's been excluded from, where he's been uh, shut out from for so long. He says, go there, report to the priest, let him declare you clean and now enjoy the freedom of your newfound clean status. Closest to God is now possible. Enjoy it. I believe God wants to do the same with us this morning. I believe there are people watching and listening to this who need to hear, whether it's for the very first time or the hundred and first time, that God, that Jesus is willing to deal with your sin and to bring you cleanliness again, to make you clean, to give you a clean slate. You need to know that Jesus accepts you and forgives you and wants to make you whole. We're actually going to finish this morning by taking a moment to have communion. Wherever you are, I hope you've got some bread and wine uh, in your home there that you can you can use. But it's the perfect way to just remind ourselves just how willing Jesus was and is to deal with our sin. He was willing to the point that he was able to have his body broken for us. He said, take this bread. It is my body broken for you. He was willing to the point that he would shed his blood for us that he would die on a cross to to remove the stain of sin from us. What an incredible God we have. What an incredible encounter with Jesus we get to have. Let's just take a moment now to stop and to thank God for sending us his son, Jesus. Maybe take a moment now to have your own encounter through the body and the blood of Jesus. 
your own encounter with him where he can wash you clean again. Thank him for the sacrifice he made for you and accept his forgiveness in your life.